up, boys and pals? Welcome back to That Shit is Poison with your host, Megan Gesner, and your other host, Harini Bell. Yeah. How's everyone doing today? Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for asking me, Megan. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> it's finally summer again, and I think, Megan, you're going to get vaccinated soon, right? That's correct. I'm going to get vaccinated around the same time where it is available to all people. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. technically I'm in a, a one of the earlier phases, but their sure. appointments were so hard to come by. So I now know, I'm just, I know. I'm, I'm just, you know, getting it. Uh, late but you know what doesn't matter doesn't when matter. as long as it's happening for me correct so correct. yeah i'm excited that's exciting that is mm-hmm. super exciting i'm it's so important guys get vaccinated so we can go back to our normal life whatever that is but mm-hmm. yeah i'm excited to actually do stuff this summer hopefully hopefully fingers crossed fingers but yeah the crossed. weather has been great mm-hmm. i just officially moved out of my apartment in san francisco as of this morning and it's just like time for a new chapter of life I know. I'm excited. Does that feel and surreal to like be like, wow, I'm officially done with school for the rest of my life? Yeah, yeah. It feels weird. Like it hasn't hit me just yet. But mm-hmm. I think when I start working and I get and I cash in that first paycheck, I think I'll oh, be yeah. at that point. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Make I'm ready to shmoney. not work for free. Get yeah, make that money. Like I'm I know. not working for free another day in my life. That mm-hmm. was really painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big congrats to Harini, thank y'all, you. because thank you, thank you. how many years was that? Is it five, five or four? Pharmacy four. school. Four years of pharmacy school. Mm-hmm. And now she's a doctor. So quick, doctor. quick applause for her. Yes. Yeah, snap, snap. <laughs> Dr. Yes, yes. Bot. Dr. B. <laughs> Dr. B in the house. Before we started recording this, I was asking Megan about her recent trip to Hawaii, which was well, well deserved. And it seems like Megan had a fantastic trip. But she was just recalling how like there's a lot of just great energy and great things that are happening. And the first thought that came to my mind is like, you are just like magnetic. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> you know, no, I like, appreciate you, that. You were in a magnetic wave of energy and good things were just like coming to you. And I love that for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, I recently took a week trip to Maui. It was a trip mm-hmm. that was just on a whim. Me and my gal pal, Arizona. We're kind of having a tough time with work and we are very privileged to just spontaneously commit to this trip and go. And I am so happy that I did. In a way, I agree with Harini. There was something about being on that island where I was just 100% on. I was 100%. What is that one movie with Scarlett Johansson? And it's like Lucy. And it's like your brain is oh, yeah. Yeah. like only 20% is actually used. But with right, this right, right. You know, tool, being on Maui, I felt like I was like, a hundred percent of my brain and energy and all my abilities were like utilized well one recreationally maui is fantastic great hikes great Mm -hmm. snorkeling great just the swimming was phenomenal in the warm water oh was the water warm dude it was like stepping into a heated pool it was it was wonderful yeah so recreationally awesome lots of waterfalls lots of green Mm -hmm. lush untouched land beautiful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but what really made it for me was the folks that I met at the hostel we stayed at and I will say like our hostel was predominantly women that were Mm -hmm. like kind of hanging out there but I just it was like some amazing female energy that to be honest like I have not been around in some in a long time and granted I do live with two other women but this was like imagine (laughs) being in like a shared home and 
you go out to the kitchen, no one's there. And then suddenly, like, someone else comes out for dinner. And then, like, more people start to trickle around the island. That's so cool. And it just builds into this energy of just cooking together, laughing together, dancing together. It was just surreal at how, yeah. like, amazing it was. Yeah. So shout out to those folks that I met in Maui. I'm going to say, it like, Kritzia, Chung, Ooh. Priya, mm-hmm. Mary, Diane, Daria. Shout out to Karen. I'm missing some names. Which I am so sorry if I am. Carl. <laughs> Carl. Shout out to Carl in Seattle. Maytel and Tawny. Those are just several of the people I met. But um, I'm also shouting out their names because Chung in particular, my girl Chung, she knew I made a podcast. Oh, and she was yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to listen. So this one's oh for my, you, yes. Chung. We're going to go to Costa Rica, okay? All right. that's I love it. I love it. it. Yeah. So thanks for asking. It was just like, that's like perfect. A, that's like an ultimate girls camp, you know, like adult girls camp yeah. in the best way possible. I it love that. Great. That was exactly the medicine you needed, Megan. Mm-hmm. And now I'm that's like, fantastic. I'm back on the mainland and I'm trying to like preserve <laughs> that energy of like yeah. being 100% on. I will tell you the moment Monday came around <laughs> and I'm back at work. I was like, oh, this energy Fuck is this not here. <laughs> I also want to make a trip over there really, really badly. So this has spurred my motivation to to do it. Yeah. I am going to do a little plug for the hostel I stayed at. It's called yes. Hakuna Matata Hostel. Stop. Yeah, it is. It's It sounds kitschy, but it was like for real Hakuna Matata. I was like, <laughs> this is the spot. Um, it's called Hakuna Matata Hostel. It's on the Lahaina side of Maui. Mm. And Dominique and Daniel were our wonderful hosts. So shout out to them. They were fantastic. 12 out of 10 stars all the wow. way. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> love that. Love that. You heard it for here first, mm-hmm. folks. I think that's well enough of an intro, yeah, don't you think? Let's let's get into our because there is no transition <laughs> whatsoever there, to what we're going to be talking about. There doesn't have to be each time. Maybe we'll find some sort of weird connection, but here we go. Harini, it is your turn to pick your poison. Yes, it is. And this week's, I was dabbling with it for mm. for a minute there, guys. I was like, do I do a two parter or do I just like do it in all one go? And I realized this shit is way too dense Mm, to mm. just do it in one episode. So I'm doing a two-parter. And this is a story that has made its rebirth into current knowledge by the hit Netflix series, Wild Wild Country. That's right, bitch. I'm doing a two-part series on the Bhagwan and Rajneesh Parham. I I am so excited for this because I had watched Wild Wild Country and... Oh, it's such a funky story and I'm excited to I hear know. you talk about it and get more into yeah. the toxicology aspects mm-hmm. and all the weird shit that they did on the Dude, so freaking what, weird. what is it called <laughs> like their compound is that what it's called a compound yeah like their compound or commune Rajesh commune. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But... you know what I'm actually very pleasantly surprised to hear you say that you're excited for the story because mm-hmm. because I know you've already seen it so I was a little bit worried this mm-hmm. might be dry for you mm-hmm. but I'm excited to that you're excited <laughs> yeah of course i mean like i acknowledge that wild wild country is probably one of the more famous documentaries on netflix but no. it is such a crazy story i will never mind hearing about it again and for me personally it's been a while since i've like watched sure. the documentary right i'm ready yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are actually in a similar boat to you. I think if they've seen it, they probably watched it right when it came out, mm-hmm. like everyone else did. Mm-hmm. And that was some time ago. Or like me, you've just never seen it until like you do a podcast right, episode on right. it and then you watch it. Even then, 
me watching it for just research purposes mm-hmm. and entertainment it's quite heavy mm-hmm. like there's a lot going on there's a lot of information so i'm going to do my best to like condense it and like in a clear format but make it interesting Hell so yeah. here we go i'm going to do this at the top of the episode all right my sources yep, yep. <laughs> before i forget yep okay wikipedia five sure has been <laughs> in this the making of this episode <laughs> okay. but there are others for example the guardian i got a great article from the guardian growing up in the wild well country cult you heard people having sex all the time like baboons that's dude that's the when, title. when was that written do you know the date for that <sighs> oh sorry to put you on the spot no you're good oh it was not an old article okay. 2018 gotcha. april 24th yeah. by sam wollaston gotcha gotcha okay I just want to get more information on the Bhagwan himself. Mm-hmm. So I got, I pulled an article from biography.com mm-hmm. on him. And then a recent article from The Verge, which basically came out at the same time as the Netflix series, mm-hmm. Washington Post. And then the rest were actually from toxicology news and reports on the different reasons, so to mm-hmm. speak, that they used. There's actually three poisons that I have identified in this six-part series. So I'm going to talk about two in this episode and then leave one for the second parter, just Mm -hmm. so everyone is aware. Okay. And I want to first talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Bhagwan Rajneesh, or Osho, as he is now known. Mm. So... Megan, you mm. obviously have seen this. You're privy to this information too. So I would love your input as well. I have been on the fence about describing them as a cult. Mm. You could say that they have cult-like tendencies, but I do just think they're like just a fervent religious organization. Mm. But I don't know what you what you think about that. Yeah, that's a tough one. I feel like they kind of go back and forth across that fence. Because there are definitely, to me, in their history, there are moments where, like, you could define them as a cult. And then they go back over to where it's, like, internally, I think there's an acknowledgement of, like, uh, this isn't what we originally wanted. There's control factors. There's Mm -hmm. there's elements Mm -hmm. of control that influence, you know, the following, right? Yes. But I also feel like the people that were the followers had the ability to walk away without impact, Right, right. Is is that how you feel? I mean, I haven't yeah. seen it in so long, but that mm-hmm. was kind of my interpretation. Correct. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt too. Like I, that's why I felt it was a little bit different from the rules of the cult. It's like you could walk away freely at any time. It's not, at least to my knowledge, from what they what I gather from these sources and from the series, it's not like people are going to come track you down. You know, they're yeah. making you sign like NDAs and things like you can't talk about what's going on in there. Right. Whatever, right. I have yeah. a counter question. Mm-hmm. Would you say that some faction of this particular moment in time for this commune, Mm -hmm. would you say that they kind of ride the line of terrorist group on occasion? Definitely. Okay. I mean, given what we're about to talk about, part part of me is almost like I would more quickly define them as a terrorist group Mm -hmm. with their actions before like full blown cult. But Correct. that is exactly. just an unprofessional opinion. <laughs> no, I would tend to agree with that opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not going to call them a cult. They're definitely like a religious, fanatic, a radical religious organization. Mm-hmm. But even with that, I would say he has the Bhagwan is like a cult leader in the sense of mm-hmm. like how many people believed him and really just like followed him all the way. Right. So he's clearly this charismatic, magnetic personality. So I want to talk about his upbringing, like how he even came to be. 
let's go to his birth. So Bhagwan mm-hmm. was obviously not born as Bhagwan. That's not his name. He was born as Chandra Mohan Jain. Mm-hmm. He was the eldest of 11 children. Wow. His, I know it's a lot. Mm-hmm. His parents were cloth merchants in a small village in the state of Madhya Pradesh mm-hmm. in India, but he was brought up by his grandparents until the age of seven. It's not clear why. I'm assuming just because there's a lot of kids, like maybe they just like kind of distributed them between mm-hmm. other pe- caretakers potentially. Yeah. But he was brought up in terms of religion. He was brought up Jain, um, mm. which maybe I don't know if a lot of people know what this is, but it is more of a religious way of life in India. It is a non-theist Indian religion that doesn't mm-hmm. believe in gods per se, like, mm-hmm. like you would see in Hinduism, but mm-hmm. the teaching slash way of life of an ascetic person or similar or people similar to Buddhism. Yeah. So that is how he was brought up. And I can kind of see how that would have an effect later down the line. His grandparents gave him a lot of freedom growing up. They pretty much let him be carefree and they didn't impose any rules in terms of education or restrictions. He even says himself like this really played a key role into becoming who he was later on. At seven years old, though, or around a younger age, his grandfather died and his childhood Mm -hmm. girlfriend, which I thought was very interesting, especially given like when he was born and like being in India, having a girlfriend, like a childhood girlfriend is not common. But anyways, Mm. his childhood girlfriend and his cousin Shashi died of typhoid when he was 15. So kind of like that back to back to back death repeated in his early childhood really affected him. Yeah. This really caused him to be preoccupied with death and just the concept of it. And Mm. it stayed with him until he was an adult. Mm. In school, he was brilliant. He was a little bit rebellious and Mm. gained a reputation as being a formidable debater. Mm. It was through these debates that he started to outwardly criticize traditional religion and started practicing alternative spiritualism like breath control, yoga, meditation, fasting, hypnosis, that type of thing. In 1951, he was 19 years old. That's when he started university, but he was soon asked to not attend classes in person because he was so disruptive and Mm. argumentative. In his spare time, he started doing public speaking and specifically public speaking about religion at his local Jain temple. Mm -hmm. And after resisting his parents' several attempts to get him married, he says he achieved enlightenment, specifically on March 21st, 1953, while sitting under a tree in a garden near his home. And that mm. sort of kick-started his whole religious and spiritual lifestyle. Yeah. Did you find anything specifically about what he described as his enlightenment or what that moment was, how it was achieved, or it's just like... Uh. exactly, but he, it is inferred from the sources that he was getting into meditation and mm. he was actively trying to reach this spiritual gotcha. enlightenment that he's been reading in all these books and things like that. Yeah. And from what I was reading in a different article, it wasn't like he, and this is what a lot of people say when they say they've achieved enlightenment. It's not like mm-hmm. you get reach enlightenment and then you're just there in a constant state of enlightenment. It's right. almost just like a flash moment where you mm. are enlightened and know mm. that it is possible and that in itself gives you a different perspective on everything mm. else and therefore you start teaching other people that you can achieve this different way of life gotcha um, so eventually he gets his bachelor's in philosophy as well as his master's in the same subject he stays on as a teacher at the Raipur sanskrit college but the vice chancellor asks him to transfer citing that he was a danger to students morality character and religion 
It was after this that he took the name Rajneesh, which was actually a nickname from his childhood. So nothing more... Mm than that which i thought was interesting yeah so it's not it's not like a, a title or something no but i will say the term bhagwan mm-hmm. in sanskrit and like hindi and everything else it means god interesting he started to travel all over india obviously he didn't get keep his tenure at this university so he starts traveling all over india giving lectures criticizing socialism gandhi mm. institutional religions etc he described Gandhi as a masochistic re- reactionary who worshipped mm. poverty. So, I mean, you can kind of get a sense that he is very controversial and very mm. outspoken about kind of going against what other people would consider the norm. He firmly believed that India was a backwards country and needed mm. capitalism, science, and wait for it, mm-hmm. birth control to escape its backwardness, mm. which mm. I'm like... Hey, when he lays that all out, I'm like, I don't disagree with that. Because that's basically what he's describing is probably like Silicon Valley, honestly, like circa 2020, 2021, you know, he's he's just kind of saying a more modern approach to things that are honestly outdated. Like, I don't disagree with that. Like up until this point, don't disagree. Maybe not the Gandhi thing, but everything else like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm on board. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm absorbing that. And it is interesting because it's like. This is a person who essentially favored Western ideals Correct. in contrast to what the, the social trends were in India mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think about the Om cult mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Asahara because like technically he was very future forward thinking. Right. Grand mm-hmm. ideals towards like the future. Yeah. And typically that tends to be westernized thinking. So it's yeah. just interesting because it's like I speak from a bias of growing up in a Western culture and I'm like that does sound like I would be in support of that. But I'm I'm from speaking from like 20th century. Exactly. 21st century. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. I mean, some it's people just say he could be ahead of his time. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I mean, obviously his methods down the line were not like ideal. But his right. bold statements gave him a loyal following of wealthy merchants and businessmen. Mm-hmm. Kind of similar, like you said, to Om Shinrikyo. Yeah. They sought him out almost like a spiritual consultant, which I thought was really Mm. interesting. They would first ask for support with spiritual development and daily life and then give him donations in return, like as form as as a form of payment. And essentially his practice snowballs from there. His following starts to really kick off though in 1962 when he started to host Mm. these three to 10 day meditation camps. In 1968, he published a lecture series titled From Sex to Superconsciousness in which he mm. condemned Hindu leaders by calling for more acceptance of sex, which earned him his reputation as the quote-unquote sex mm. guru. This is something that has kind of always puzzled me as well, just being being Indian and like mm. my ancestry from India, because people will always like joke or like talk about the Kama Sutra and like blah, 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 mm. right? Like you'll see a lot of depictions in Indian art history and otherwise mm. where sex is very openly displayed as something that is very natural and, you know, yeah almost be like a spiritual form of enlightenment but when it comes to just day-to-day everything is so like constricted and conservative which i found really big what's it called not dichotomy but contradiction yeah you know that's not totally unique to india i think Mm -hmm. i think that's something that happens throughout history to a lot of countries but i'm not an anthropologist i'm not a historian so i don't know the answer to this but i'm like yeah like we see hellenistic artwork or like archaic artwork that celebrates sex yeah like outwardly yeah and it's something that these cultures are heavily rooted in Mm -hmm. and in a way 
these cultures are still very prideful of that history, right? Right, absolutely. But at some point in time, this conservatism enters the culture Mm -hmm. and then it just it's changes and so yeah i mean it's interesting it is interesting and i wonder like his comments on like you know we should be more open towards sex is it is it because he's trying to celebrate you know a heritage that is very very open-minded with like literature dedicated to the topic or is it you know because you had mentioned the birth control thing is he thinking like okay if sex was more celebrated then there perchance wouldn't be as much violence um, mm-hmm. that can happen like sexual violence that mm-hmm. can happen and then maybe if sex was less taboo then birth control would be less taboo you know correct, like those kind of go hand in hand i think so, so i don't know I, that's why i'm saying look i look up until this point i'm agreeing with him you know i think mm-hmm. these are all great notions and also like population control also just yeah. like there's you know a, a lot of the poverty is because like people are just having kids and like don't have mm-hmm. the financial support for that yeah. but yeah all of that i think i agree with you megan So he believed religion is an art that should show you how to enjoy this lifetime that you are given. He criticized the caste system and treatment of women as akin to animals, which is not Mm. untrue, you know, like that Mm. he's completely 100% right on that. And Mm. things shifted in a bigger way for him in the 70s when he hosted his first public meditation event. And I find this very fascinating because this is way, like, way before core power and Bikram and all that shit, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, just the entire thought and movement of yoga. This was one of the first yoga teachings that were in the format of a public class. Mm. Like, that in itself Mm. was revolutionary. Obviously, nowadays, like, you don't even think twice, right? But to do that right. back in the 70s, like that was a big deal. How interesting. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. anytime I think of yoga, I'm like, yoga class. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, with a group of people. Because uh, like, yeah. I would have to do a little more research on this. But from my understanding, people who did, who did yoga were mostly religious people or like priests mm-hmm. or like, you know, ascetics and things like that. And that was a very, I want to say like kind of an exclusive group of people. Like you didn't learn those mm-hmm. things unless that was your way of life. It wasn't accessible right, right. to just the random public. So that, that right, was a big right. thing to like blur those lines between enlightened wow. person to just, it can be for anybody. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. He added in breathing exercises and celebrating with music and dance. After this is when he took on the title of the Bhagwan Rajneesh and started to get mm-hmm. his first sannyasins or followers. Sannyasins means like a religious disciple who forgoes secular life for the journey of hopefully achieving enlightenment, like who they follow. But Rajneesh was clear that he did not want his sannyasins to worship him, but see him more as the sun encouraging them all to flower. Even from, I have to say, like myself, watching the first, because there are six episodes of this series, mm-hmm. watching the first like two and hearing more about what his whole philosophy was, even I was like, oh, this doesn't sound bad mm-hmm. at all. Like I kind of understand and I agree. Like I think this is great if this is all true. His whole idea was that I want to wake up as many people as possible to the idea that they don't have to be in this prison that they are, like they can broaden their mind, broaden their horizons, and we are going to create almost like a new awoke man, humankind, where like we don't see each other as other, everyone is the same. Right. Which is great, which is great. Mid to late 70s is when he gathered enough followers and money to build his first ashram in Pune, which is still in use today. Bhagwan's methods Mm. of his religion were definitely radical. He had Mm. spiritual therapy sessions where things were more experimental. There was physical 
sexual aggression between participants and sexual encounters. Reports mm-hmm. of injuries sustained during these quote-unquote therapy sessions started to come out into the mm-hmm. press around this time. One of the members, Richard Price, he walks out one of these therapy sessions with a broken arm after being locked in a room for eight hours with participants armed with wooden weapons. What? Yeah. And the the purpose of these sessions was to achieve like, <laughs> I don't know. Like what was I know we don't know. No, okay, well, we don't know. I mean, it's yeah. it's like a it's supposed to be like a meditative release where and I think they touch mm-hmm. on this a lot in the series as well. There's like different phases of their practice. It's where it's like mm-hmm. they have a release section where they just like start gotcha. yelling and like screaming, screaming yeah. like saying okay. all kinds of expletives and whatever just like get like the demons out yeah. of your system and that included aggression towards each other gotcha, and maybe gotcha. even themselves and then they would have, you know, an exercise phase or a dancing phase. And then they would have a phase where they're just literally silent. They're just like on the ground, quiet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was just part of their therapy. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you can see footage of their therapy sessions of these dynamic meditations. They do chaotic Mm -hmm. breathing, loud, aggressive Mm -hmm. breathing, screaming, yelling, vigorous movement. It honestly freaked me out when I was watching this in the series because it looks like they're possessed. Mm. It's very animalistic for sure. Yeah. And sort of at the same time. In comes Miss Sheila Patel. (laughs) Tough titties, Sheila. (laughs) My favorite line. Sheila is diabolical as it gets, but she is a strong woman. Like even if you, when you, when I was reading these sources, not Mm -hmm. all, but like some of them were coming from people who hated her, like truly, truly just hated her, but they will always give her the credit that she was so like strong and always stood her ground and like fought for what she believed in. Like she was not... afraid of anybody you know give credit where credit's due i guess (laughs) but anyways (laughs) so her story she was born in gujarat india in 1949 and moved to the u.s Mm -hmm. actually at age 18 where she attended college in new jersey she married a white man that she met in college Mm -hmm. but unfortunately he died quite early from cancer and it was Mm -hmm. kind of in the mix of that is when she started to in his passing she sought out bhagwan so Sheila recalled with her family in 1969 to meet Bhagwan for the first time in his apartment in Mumbai. So this was like before he was mm-hmm. really big. She hugs him and yeah. says she immediately burst into tears. And she quote says like, mm-hmm. my whole heart melted. My life was complete. My life was fulfilled. So was her family actively following Bhagwan before she got the chance to meet him in person like what is the build up to her meeting mm-hmm. Bhagwan like she already knew about him and was kind of like tuned into his practices yeah. because of her husband passing yeah so basically mm-hmm. it, she doesn't say it outright but it is heavily implied that her family already knew of Bhagwan and or okay. saw him to be as someone like a great person like someone they would want to follow I think after college she marries does like the back and forth from India to US type of thing and somewhere in between that, mm-hmm. she meets Bhagwan and actually her and her husband together, they start following him. Like they are disciples of him together. Mm-hmm. And through that, he was kind of like, you know, after I pass, because he obviously had cancer, like, he knew it was going to pass. He's like, you should stay on here. You like more mm-hmm. for me. That's fine. But you should continue your life. Your life still has you have so much life ahead of you. This is giving you meaning in your mm-hmm. life. You should stay here and be a disciple of Bhagwan full time. And that's essentially what wow. she did. There was an instant connection to him and I think vice versa, as we'll see later, because mm-hmm. he never really forgot her either. I think there was yeah. like a mutual understanding there that they were very much connected. For her, yeah. seeing and meeting him was almost like 
love at first sight, even though she was married, it was like a different, it was like, you know, transcendental love, you know, for like a God almost. It was an overwhelming feeling of love and joy. And she knew she was basically in the presence of someone very great. Sheila was part of the Pune compound, was, was always by Bhagwan's side. Prime Minister Indira Gandhi was not a fan of Bhagwan. And this is interesting. I mean, just for mm. context, because we, for people who are listening to her past episode, Prime Minister Shastri, who mm. passed away, the Prime Minister after that was Indira Gandhi. Mm. Indira Gandhi was not a fan of Bhagwan. They stopped issuing foreign visas to people who were specifically coming to live at the ashram. People are coming in droves mm. from the US, like all over the world, yeah. to India just to live in this compound. Bhagwan's controversial mm-hmm. methods raised a ton of conflict with the Indian government. At this point, the commune mm-hmm. in Pune was hosting 30,000 visitors a year. Wow. Bhagwan's yeah. lectures shifted from what they were in the 70s, which was focusing on spiritualism, to focusing on ethnic or dirty jokes just to get a shock out of the audience. So you can kind of mm-hmm. see his methods are shifting the more followers he gets. And that's like, that's what we see with a lot of these other cult-like things. I'm not saying this is a cult, but like... Yeah the original goal tends to mutate as it goes forward. Right. There right. was a different lady who was Rajneesh's personal assistant, and she was tasked with finding a new and larger space because clearly like there's 3,000 people coming. They need more space than what they can accommodate at the Pune commune. So he asked her, like, find somewhere mm-hmm. else where we can practice because Pune was now too small and they were getting a ton of heat from the Indian government. Mm. But Bhagwan's personal assistant wasn't very good at business and struggled to find a different place. So Bhagwan essentially fires her Mm. and appoints Sheila, his new personal assistant, in Mm. 1981. Sheila first decides that in order to expand, they need money. They need that money, and she write. Mm. I mean, she's she's being being real. real. She's, as we say, we're not economic majors, but Sheila is. Her thinking is, we have thousands of sannyasins at our fingertips they all got pockets. They all got wallets. Why aren't we using it? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so overnight, they set yeah. up an entire banking and credit system. And the cash flow wow. was enormous as soon as they set that up. And they just yeah. used that to finance their yeah. ventures from there on out. That same year, wow. Sheila tells Bhagwan, we need to leave India. We have outgrown India. They clearly don't mm. want us here. It's just going to be too much of a, a mess to try to find a different location within mm-hmm. this country. So we got to set up shop elsewhere. Yeah. And I think the United States is exactly the perfect breeding ground for what we want to do. Yeah. And also, this is during a time where the counterculture mm-hmm. movement is like mm-hmm. huge. And people, whether they did feel like, I want to be better and ha- achieve, you know, enlightenment over others, whether mm-hmm. that's how they felt or not, I just know that the counterculture movement was so starkly contrasting the conservative Mm -hmm. politics that Mm -hmm. were happening at the time and there's just like a lot of shifting there so she could have been like hey this is what's happening in the states the iron is hot let's strike now in july of 1981 the rajneesh foundation purchases the 64,000 acre big muddy ranch in wasco county oregon to start their rajneesh Puram commune Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Poor Oregon. They have no idea or more poor Wasco County. They don't know. I know. Here's the thing. The people that live in Wasco County, those poor souls, and and just honestly, the greater Antelope area in Oregon, they're typically older retired folks or farmers that have lived on that land for generations. There is nothing Mm -hmm. for miles 
miles yeah and they have one of everything like one stoplight one restaurant one gas station one post office everyone knows everybody so the radical religious group hailing from india to come into this Mm -hmm. previously quiet town really didn't sit well with the residents of wasco county not to mention they all just wore one color (laughs) (laughs) i know was it that is the most disturbing thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just the hilarious. maroon, like that red maroon. Oh, yeah, it's like a maroonish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is. But I mean, like, that's fucking why they chose that area because it's like, there's nothing. There's, there's nothing, nothing there. there. And they had the opportunity to expand cheap land. as much as possible. Yeah. And it's cheap land. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was ripe for the picking. Okay. Yeah. That's what the Californians are doing to the Idahoans right now. <laughs> that is truth. That is truth, Megan. Snap, yep. snaps. I look, snaps. <laughs> I look at Reddit. I look at Reddit. Yeah, so when the residents of Wasco got interviewed in this series, they recall how they just see massive trucks driving into the ranch area with lumber, hauling entire mobile homes, and the people were all wearing this maroon garb mm-hmm. the the sannyasis that fall Baguan and sheila to oregon all had previous trades and jobs but they were put to use in this new common organ they made them build homes facilities bathrooms etc anything that they might need in their new little city even though th- the residents around them did not know that that was their mm. goal but that wasn't always the case. One of the more prominent members, Jane Stork, who eventually becomes a key player in the talks portion of things. Actually, okay. her name, because everyone changes their name once they enter the commune. They each take mm. on like their Rajneesh Param name. So yeah. her name is Ma Shanti B. Ma Shanti so B. She becomes one of Sheila's closest confidants and is in her inner circle eventually by the end of these things. Gotcha. She had a full-on profession. I tried to figure out what that was, mm. but I could not find it. But when they came in, she basically said like, oh, I did this for a living, blah, 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 blah. And then they're like, oh, cool. You can work cleaning the bathrooms, which of course was like nothing mm. related to what she did before. And she was like, right. oh, okay. Honestly, I'm going to do a Lost reference. So sorry, mm-hmm. friends, if you guys have not watched okay. Lost. But this reminds me so much of the Dharma Initiative where mm. everyone came to this whole commune and compound. It was all about building a better life, being sustainable, eco-friendly, farming the land, and doing scientific groundbreaking research. And you're really going to be part of something like making a mm. difference. And then one of the key characters in the show, he comes to this Dharma initiative hoping to be someone. And he was just a janitor. He's like, what the hell is this? Like, this is not what I signed up for, you know? Mm. But anyways. I digress. Point being, everyone had a job to do, even if it mm-hmm. wasn't the most glamorous thing. But mm-hmm. albeit everyone was super happy because in exchange, they got access to Bhagwan, which is what people came for. The lectures, right. the spiritualism, the teachings, all, all mm-hmm. of the above. Okay. Bhagwan was not your typical spiritual or even typical cult leader. Again, but he was extremely flashy. He loved consumerism. He loved capitalism, mm-hmm. sex, and just like yeah. overall luxury. And yeah. he loved his Rolls Royces. Yes. <laughs> that was the most hilarious thing to me. Yeah. Wherever he went, he would pull up in his classy, sleek, white, armored mm-hmm. Rolls Royce. I don't know why I need mm-hmm. to be armored. Rolls Royce, like a total baller. And he mm-hmm. owned, I was curious, I had to look this up. I was like, how many did he own? And he mm-hmm. owned 93 Rolls Royces. What? Like, that is, That's absurd. That is just stupid. That is just like stupid many like how many that's stupid money (laughs) holy stupid money (laughs) yeah okay because like okay it's things like that like okay i understand 
that from the get-go he's always been into capitalism so in a way his you know ideologies have not shifted. so i should not be surprised (laughs) that he's flaunting 93 rolls royces but it just seems like very it just seems high contrast with the concept of like enlightenment and stuff but uh i mean i don't know like maybe we're all doing enlightenment wrong like all he saw was this him in this Rolls Royce just driving down the street, driving down the boulevard. That's his enlightenment. Yeah. I mean, okay. You know what? To, to each one's own. I, no judgment there. If your enlightenment yeah. is spending cash on the things you like, yeah. then good for you. Like, okay, do it. But 93, I'm like, guys, don't you That's know as soon as you buy a car, as soon as you drive that car off the lot, it depreciates in value. Like, come on. You know, get something else. Buy 93 houses. <laughs> you know what he's doing, Harini? So he buys his first one. He drives off the lot. Oh, fuck. It's depreciated. Let me get another one. Drives the other one off the lot. Oh, fuck. It's depreciated. Does it 91 more times. (laughs) I just, I just picture him with his eyes closed and he sees a mirror image of himself. You need to stop. There's literally, there's literally 93 of him all surrounding him saying like, please stop. (laughs) Oh my God. Wow. Well, that was a fun little tidbit. That is. That's a lot of cars. That's a lot of cars. I don't even know where he put them all because I've only seen the one in the series, but yeah, he has no parking lot. (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) So soon after they established their new commune in Wasco County, Bogwan enters a vow of silence. He is no longer speaking for the foreseeable future as part of his religious practice. So from that day forward, Sheila becomes his voice and she is ruthless. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 she is yet people Won't are so flo- yeah no we're not denying yeah. that but yeah. people are still flocking to the commune they are obsessed with the mm. teachings and the way of life there and this was i don't know if you caught this megan mm. when you were watching the series but shannon joe ryan is the daughter of congressman leo ryan who you may remember poison pals is a congressman who went to guiana to investigate the jonestown compound mm. and was killed over there was attacked yeah uh, was attacked okay, and yeah. killed shannon joe ryan joins the commune she joins rajni interesting and there is footage of her in this netflix series someone is interviewing her because she's clearly like a high profile in a sense because yeah. You got to remember, Jonestown has just happened not even 10 years prior to that. It happened in the late 70s. So it's not that long ago that this whole thing happened. So the United States as a whole has their ears perked way up for any kind of cult-like activity. Because they don't want that shit to happen again. Yeah. That's so, so interesting. Right? I'd love to know her like psychology and how that events and her father. It's her father, Mm -hmm. right? Father It's her father, yeah. How that impacted her life to join. Like, this like, Rajneeshi thing. I kind of understand if like it was her uncle. It's like mm. this is her dad mm. who died, right? Yeah. Like that's a pretty tragic way to pass. And she basically uses the money she inherits from his death to donate slash join Rajneesh Puram, mm. firmly stating that this is not a cult. And in the interview mm. with her, the interview asked like, "Oh, like what would your dad think, or what would your dad say if he knew like you were joining the Rajneesh Puram?" And she was like, oh, like I think if he was here today, saw what it was like, he would be so happy for me because he would know this is not a cult at all and that it is actually just a way of improving your life. Oh, so she's like very firm on that. Hmm. Rajneesh Puram develops into full-on city. Their goal was to always become a recognized city. They eventually wanted to become a full-on state and just like mm-hmm. kind of gather more cities and become this whole group and organization. Right, right. right. This was a big part of 
the series is their politics mm-hmm. with the current residents of Wasco County. I'm not going to get into all the politics of what went on since this is like more of the talks true crime aspect mm-hmm. of things. But one thing I thought was random but very interesting was one of the key people on the Wasco resident side fighting to shut down Rajneeshpuram was a man named Bill Bowerman, mm-hmm. probably better known as the creator of the Nike brand. Oh, yeah. Didn't they mention that, that in the, they did. the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. I do you recall? The founder of Nike is no longer mm-hmm. alive, but his right. son is the one that is in the series. And he's like talking and he's actually a lot older, too, now yeah. in the series. But he like, talks about his father and how he was basically lobbying at every government meeting, trying to say, like, these guys are no good. They mm. they're invading and intruding our space. Blah, blah. They need to be shut down. So the residents of Wasco County form a group called the Thousand Friends of Oregon, whose sole purpose is to stand their ground against their, these radical religious intruders who are threatening their peace and their quiet and safety of their land. Mm-hmm. But it got violent. Like They try to go about it by the rules. But eventually mm-hmm. they just got fed up because there are too many of them. Like in terms of Rajneeshpuram, they had too many members. Mm-hmm. Like they felt like they were constantly outnumbered. So mm-hmm. they're like, this is not going to work. We're just a handful of people compared to these hundreds and hundreds of members of Rajneeshpuram. Mm-hmm. So they started to light their houses on fire. They would throw grenades, etc. Mm-hmm. And after that, Sheila was just livid. She forms a full-on militia. She has her own police force. Like, it's nuts. They legit had their own Rajneeshpuram police cars with badges and the whole nine yards and housed a massive supply of guns. Like, they were training and doing, like, shooting every single day just to, Mm -hmm. you know, be on the alert at all times. Yeah. Nobody. She made sure that nobody was going to mess with them anymore in terms of those violent tactics. This, of course, seriously concerned the Wasco residents and it started to concern Oregon as a whole because up until this point, people outside of Antelope, they were like, okay, like, just calm down, you know, like, it's not a deal, whatever. But now they're like, oh, shit, like, they're actually gaining a lot of power because they have power numbers. And and that also means growth Mm -hmm. in power. They had more people Mm -hmm. on the county district board than anyone else. And that means they can elicit a real change that would favor Rajneeshpuram. Yeah. But Sheila isn't perturbed by this. Like, she doesn't care that people don't like them. She doesn't care about that at all. They won't let her have Rajneeshpuram as a city. She went and did the next best thing by the city of Antelope. Mm-hmm. They start systematically buying people's homes and properties in the Antelope area for way above the going asking price. Mm. Remember, these people are retired, probably living on a pension. So to suddenly mm-hmm. be handed, handed this huge chunk of cash for their home is extremely tempting. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. They're like, yeah, you can take over Antelope. <laughs> and also, I'm going to take my money right. and go, go somewhere else. to California. And honestly, <laughs> yeah. another aspect is like, they are miserable living there because of them. Mm-hmm. And then someone paying right, them cash right. to leave. They're like, hell yeah, I'm going to get out of here. Like, do whatever the hell you want, yeah. you know? Yeah. So most people gave over their homes. And for those that didn't, mm. Sheila would double, triple the offer price. And eventually mm. they would bend. Wow. I know. Just, Another she beast. She's just given the, the Rolls Royces. Like, look, this <laughs> yeah. guy has too many. Here. I'll give you a free Rolls Royce Rolls on Royce? top of this. I'll give you a Rolls Royce. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bhagwan doesn't know, and he can't speak because he's in a silence. Yeah, because he's doing See no thing. evil, hear no evil, you know. That was when Antelope the City starts asking for help from the government, the U.S. government, and the FBI finally gets involved. But they take mm-hmm. a sort of watch and wait method, which I don't really understand. They're just hearing of this hippie commune in a small county in Oregon. They don't have enough to really get these people, but they're on the radar. 
there's mm-hmm. nothing technically illegal happening. Correct. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. They're just being like rowdy and disruptive in a in a previously yeah. like quiet town. Like that's not right. illegal, right? In fact, up until this point, probably the residents were doing more illegal stuff by being violent towards them. But mm-hmm. yeah, so there wasn't much to go on. Yeah. And like I said earlier, they're definitely on the radar because Jonestown just happened only a couple of years earlier. So they're they're mm-hmm. watching them, but there's not much to go off just yet. Sheila was determined to show everyone that their organization and way of life was going to be the new way of everyone's life, that they just Mm -hmm. didn't know it yet. So she would go on all these talk shows to gain publicity for Rajneeshwaram. And to me, I guess, like, I have to think about the time that it's in. They show her on these talk shows, and she basically Mm -hmm. is going, like, head-to-head with people from Wasco County. Like, they're debating. I have to realize like she will cuss mm, over yeah. and over again and like say whatever the hell to your face and this is like early 1980s where everyone is very pc and like yes. doesn't say anything about anything and right. they're like whoa sheila <laughs> well that's yeah. your one that's your one dirty word for the night <laughs> all right you're done here and yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. oh my god <laughs> she like she like looks at them like who the hell are these guys <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it kind of makes me laugh yeah. but she doesn't change herself for for anybody so take take that with what you will but anyways that's just that's just like me speaking to her character so it was around this time that under sheila's command she has the members go out in buses all across the u.s to recruit new members specifically Mm. the homeless population right they bring in hundreds and hundreds of homeless people back to oregon on these buses under the guise of, hey, we accept all kinds of people. You deserve a second mm-hmm. chance at life. Mm-hmm. But really, the reason why they brought them on was to increase their voting numbers for the Wasco right. County election that was coming up so that right. they could sanction their wishes to become a full city. A lot of the homeless population have untreated mental health disorders yes. and a handful of them, addiction and-, and addiction, like they're going through, mm-hmm. not all of them, but not I would say them, a lot of them yeah do a handful of them were getting out of control one particular incident occurred with a man who was not in the right state of mind clearly he was mm-hmm. running into oncoming traffic stopping cars and this is all within the commune like it's legit like its own city he was running into traffic stopping cars pulling people out of their cars and throwing them on the ground like clearly just being you're just like on this rampage of sorts mm-hmm. sheila hears this and goes straight up to this guy to confront him he mm-hmm. picks her up by her throat and starts yeah. shaking her and she recalls like she's talking in the series she says in this moment she really thought she was going to die that day a doctor eventually comes and sedates this man they drive him off the commune and set him on some random park bench and just leave him there mm-hmm. we don't know what comes yeah, to that's that not guy. great either oh no yeah. and when i saw that i was like okay like you brought him what, here yeah it's yeah yeah this is this is where it's like the the morale morality of decisions come into question because it's kind of like we know that your intention was to get the voting numbers Mm -hmm. but to bring them here they are your responsibility in some way yeah and just from a like a public health perspective like absolutely that's cruel it's cruel to to bring someone here Mm -hmm. knowing that the people that you bring in especially they're from a population that's you know um doesn't have a home or doesn't have family Mm -hmm. immediate family Mm -hmm they could have some sort of health problems mm-hmm. and it's just like exploitative yeah call it what yeah. it is it's exploitation mm-hmm. of a certain population of people yeah mm-hmm. it's horrible and yeah. after that it gets worse after that sheila orders for haldol which is 
an antipsychotic uh. to be put into the beer that was being served to the homeless people because that was part of the draw for this population. And like this was part of the marketing and advertising. This was the script mm-hmm. that the members would say when they would go out to like literally all across the U.S. And to bring these mm-hmm. people back. They would say, we'll, we'll give you free shelter, food, you'll gain spiritual wellness and two free beers a day which they most definitely did not miss. And I want to clarify that in the Netflix series, Jane Stork, again, Mashanti B, says they put the sedative Haldol in their beer. Haldol is not a sedative. I want to get that very clear. It is not a sedative. Mm -hmm. It is an antipsychotic medication of which sedation is a side effect. How do you spell that word? Haldol? It's H-A-L-D-O-L. It, sometimes it helps for me to know how to spell it to understand yeah. the pronunciation. Yeah. I, I hear you saying Haldol, but to me, I'm, I'm hearing Haldol. And I'm Correct. like, why is it? You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like yeah. Hell and the doll sounds like, what's the spelling? That's mm-hmm. just my simple brain working. But uh, no, no, you're interesting. Good. So it's an antipsychotic mm-hmm. with a sedation as a side effect. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Haldol is the brand name. Haloperidol is the generic name. Outside of drugging homeless people that you brought to a commune for exploitative purposes what would you use haldol for like what what type of clientele are you going to use it for i will get into that in the section but that is a great question i will cover that that. but i did want to make that distinction because i was kind of getting the sense that a lot of things are watered down and i don't mean that in the sense like they were not telling the truth i think Mm -hmm. sheila and these bigger people in the commune we're telling people like, oh, it's just a sedative, like they'll be okay. You know, kind of like in that mm-hmm. way, you know, not really mm-hmm. telling them the full scope of what they're actually doing. Suffice to say, these people did not know that they were being drugged. Not mm-hmm. all of these people had mental health disorders either. And this mm-hmm. is very critical. I will yeah. talk more in the talk section as to what effect psychotics can have on a person who does not have a diagnosed or even undiagnosed mental health disorder but it is not good. So that was one thing. This is kind of similar to the episode with Hitler and his doctor, because at this point, like I said, Bhagwan takes a full step back. He doesn't really attend lectures as much, spiritual gatherings, etc. He kind of keeps to his home and just sort of meditates, continues his silence. The only person he spoke to was Sheila. And it sort of became this ritual that every evening she would get driven to his home, speak with him behind closed doors, drive back to her home and tell everyone stories and this is what they mm-hmm. says tell us stories about what bhagwan mm-hmm. told her which was usually what they were supposed to do next whether yeah. or not this that's exactly what bhagwan said we'll never know you know yeah. but we all know that sheila is shrewd enough to manipulate mm-hmm. when she needs but yeah. the other person who was very close to bhagwan was his doctor dr george meredith or by his rajneesh Puram name devaraj there were other events going on at the time that made sheila completely paranoid but I will kind of talk about that in the second parter, but just know mm-hmm. there were simultaneous events going on that made her extra paranoid about mm-hmm. the commune, the people, the members, and then Bhagwan himself even. Got it. She was very protective of her relationship with Bhagwan, and I personally think enjoyed knowing that she was the sole communicator, that she was the main pers- person to have access to this godlike yeah. human. And the idea of sharing that access with even his doctor did not mm-hmm. sit right with her. 
Yeah. She didn't trust Devaraj at all. So she started bugging Bhagwan's entire home, including the land surrounding his large estate inside the compound. And I thought this was interesting, but the FBI confirmed in the series that this is the largest wiretapping case in U.S. history. Wow. Yeah. She goes yeah. all the way. I, I know. And I, okay. I, like I said, they, they probably talk about it in the show, but I have to ask because I forgot. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that like she's so devoted to yeah. Baguan, but like yeah. you see there's a shift because of her paranoia this devotion turns into obsession and almost like distrust and it's weird to see out of her power there's a following who does her bidding because she's clearly not Absolutely. bugging someone's house because she definitely she got help yeah i should actually talk about that because that brings a good point so basically at this point they have a ton of money clearly so yeah but Juan kind of has many acres of land just to himself mm -hmm. and with his house and all the things, right? And then right. Sheila kind of has something similar. They called it Jesus Grove is where she lived. And she had 10 or 11 people that lived in the house with her. Like Mashanti B describes it well in the series mm -hmm. where she says like, it's not that I stopped following Bhagwan or stopped my devotion to Bhagwan, but it was sort of replaced by being more devoted to Sheila because of just the yeah. proximity I had to her because Bhagwan started to go more into the shadows and do like his own thing. So they just directed that love and devotion to her because she was immediately there and like was yeah. the voice of Bhagwan, right? So it kind of yeah. makes sense. So she had like this really coordinate group of people that did her bidding mm -hmm. and like obviously helped all this other stuff. So she had her inner circle people listen day in and day out to these cassette tapes of audio. And they picked up with this audio that the doctor was giving him opioids and like other substances. But at Bhagwan's request, Bhagwan was so pure and naturally already, you know, high on a transcendental level that giving right. his body drugs would be a desecration to his body mm. and his mind. Yeah. She was also under the impression that at this rate, Devaraj, the doctor, was going to kill Bhagwan. Like, you know, like overdose mm. him or like something like that. So right. she hatched a plan with her inner circle to assassinate Dr. George Meredith, a.k.a. Devaraj. She asked her inner circle, who is willing posing it as an opportunity to save Bhagwan's life. Nobody speaks initially. Then Sheila's closest devotee, Mashanti B, steps forward. Sheila gives her a syringe with a substance, which was filled with epinephrine. Shanti B chooses her clothes carefully, making sure she is wearing clothes with pockets in which to put the syringe in. Later that day, there is the usual lecture and spiritual assembly. Shanti B makes sure to sit close behind the doctor. The assembly goes per usual, loud music, loud singing, dancing, the whole nine yards. As Bhagwan is getting up to leave and says his goodbyes silently, everyone was jumping up and down just in ecstasy, so ecstatic at this mm -hmm. moment of just seeing him and being in his presence. And it was in that moment that Shanti B leans forward to Deiraj and whispers something into his ear. Mm -hmm. He leans back to hear what she is saying. And as he does that, she pushes the syringe into his side. He instantly grabs behind him, grabs the syringe mm -hmm. and her hand. They struggle. They struggle a little bit. But Shanti was able to disentangle herself and quickly throws the syringe away. Mm -hmm. There's a woman who's there. And it's like clockwork. They have a woman who's there just to arrange to pick up the syringe and get rid of it. She's right there, gets rid of it. And then Shanti B looks at Devaraj and acts like nothing happened. She asks him, what's wrong? Like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? He immediately gets up and starts staggering around. Shanti B follows him for a bit. He's staggering into the crowd. And then she disappears into the crowd, walks back to her home. And that's that. No one sees her. No one hears of it. And it's just done. Yeah. He does not die, but he 
definitely know something's up. He knows he was injected with something. He's a freaking doctor, you know, like he understands. Mm -hmm. He can tell his body is reacting to something. What Mm -hmm. it is, he doesn't know, but he knows he was injected with something. I'm trying to look into the details of this, but it is murky. I believe he does eventually tell Bhagwan that this is Mm -hmm. happening. And that kind of kickstarts Bhagwan's paranoia of Mm -hmm. Sheila. I'm going to pause there. That's going to be the end of the story for today. Okay. And I'm going to go into the toxicology. I am tuned in. Okay. What's next? Did he die? Does he not? And then I was like, oh yeah, he doesn't die. But like still, that is crazy. That is crazy that she, like she's willing to go to with that, whatever lengths, clearly like even within the commune, Mm -hmm. like I kind of get the Wasco County residents, but within the commune, like that's ballsy. And to get other people on board with that, like she is, you know, force of nature. I don't know how she does it. I do not say that in a positive way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we discussed two different poisons. I'm going to talk about Haldol first. It's not a poison, but I would say in this case, this scenario, she definitely was poisoning them because it was not yeah. with their consent. Right. So you're being drugged. Um, you're being drugged. Being drugged. They were being drugged. Correct. Yeah. Haldol, aka haloperidol, is a first generation antipsychotic, meaning it is part of a group that is group of older antipsychotics. You'll hear this phrase a lot. There's first generation antihistamines, second generation antihistamines. It just means first generation is like the older version. Uh, mm-hmm. And then second generation is a little bit newer. They're typically or usually better tolerated with less unwanted side effects. Going back to Megan's question, what do you use Haldol for in an appropriate setting? You can use it to treat schizophrenia. You can use it to treat tics and Tourette's syndrome, bipolar mm-hmm. disorder, overall just general psychosis and hallucinations during alcohol withdrawal gotcha it was discovered by paul jansen in 1958 so not too long ago and it is listed on the world health organization list of essential medicines it is the most commonly used atypical antipsychotic in the united states alone and there are over 1 million prescriptions of it given a year but the thing with Haldol, even the second generation, honestly, it can cause a pretty debilitating movement disorder called tardive dyskinesia, which can be permanent, which is actually what I worked on at Neurocrine, mm-hmm. um, my previous internship. They have the only drug out there that can help with tardive dyskinesia, which is so unfortunate because for people that do have psychosis or do need mm-hmm. to be on these antipsychotics, you already have this underlying issue that you're trying to better yourself with or trying to treat. And then you get this really horrible side effect as part of this medication that you kind of have to be on. And the best way I can describe tardive dyskinesia is it's very similar to Parkinson's. It's a mm-hmm. movement disorder. Um, and in, in many ways, for that reason, you should not be giving it to people who have Parkinson's disease as well. Mm-hmm. I see. And this makes sense because the primary mechanism of action is by blocking dopamine receptors and mm-hmm. a lack of dopamine causes movement disorders that you can see in, like in Parkinson's. Yeah. It also has antihistamine, anticholinergic, and anti-noradrenergic effects, which is what we would just call, I'm not going to go into all of that, but it basically just means it's a dirty drug. The primary mechanism is it's supposed to block dopamine, but it also hits a lot of other areas right. and other receptors, right. which is where those unwanted side effects come from. So it's not a very clean, like precise drug, unfortunately. So the side effects of that are the movement disorders. So there's various types of movement disorders. You can get not just hard dyskinesia, you can get mm-hmm. Parkinsonism, akathisia, and, and those are all different types of movement disorders, basically. Mm-hmm. Sedation, which is what was kind of alluded to in this series. Weight gain, probably the most common issues that you mm-hmm. might see. And giving Haldol to people who don't need it. 
like how we have seen in this Rajneesh Param compound, can have debilitating side effects. Mm-hmm. Antipsychotics can cause the very symptoms that they relieve in patients who don't have an underlying mental health disorder. So they can cause depression, OCD, or obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, poor cognition, agitation, mania, insomnia, and abnormal movements. Yeah. So it's really, really sad that this was happening. The other drug is epinephrine, which was used to try to attempt assassination of Devaraj, the doctor. I found this very interesting to know that this is Sheila's choice of poison, per se. Right. Because epinephrine is a naturally producing hormone in our body that is produced as part of our fight or flight response. And I'm sure people have heard phrases like adrenaline junkie or this will get your adrenaline pumping when you watch a scary movie or bungee jumping. Adrenaline Mm -hmm. equals epinephrine. They are one and the same. Mm. We use epinephrine quite a bit in the hospital and in the regular public setting as well. If you ever had a severe allergy or know someone who has a severe allergy, meaning your throat closes up and you can't breathe, when you eat or in the presence of an allergen, then you most certainly will be prescribed an EpiPen, Mm -hmm. uh, which contains epinephrine. And how does that, like, how does an EpiPen work? Like, how does Mm -hmm. that alleviate swelling in your throat or things like that? Like, absolutely. What are the mechanics? So epinephrine, like I said, is produced in our body by the Mm -hmm. adrenal glands. So it's kind of like where the adrenaline part comes from. Epinephrine, in terms of what the effects are, if you take it, it can cause an increase in your heart rate, your blood sugar. So think like your glucose stores get broken down to release sugar. So you have energy to fend off that bear that you just encountered in fight or flight. You get increased in muscle strength your blood pressure, blood flow increases and your pupils dilate so that you're able to see everything around you. You're highly alert in this scenario where it's like survival. And there are three main medical uses for epinephrine. So mm-hmm. first one is cardiac arrest. When you have a heart attack or your heart just stops working altogether, you want to give epinephrine to maximize blood flow to your heart. So like I said, it's going to increase your blood flows and constrict your vessels so that you get more blood flow to the areas of your body that are not getting it. The second use is for anaphylactic shock, which is what I kind of touched on earlier. Mm-hmm. When you eat that allergic shellfish, I always think of that Broad City episode with Alana where she just keeps eating shellfish. Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> it was so good. Uh, it was so bad. Yeah. So literally like that. She, I'm pretty sure she used an EpiPen in the episode. She does. It's the whole bit is that like, she's like, this is my one night I can treat myself. So I'm just going to go fucking ham on the shellfish. And then she's like, when I'm ready, stab me with this. And she just like, close to like death. (laughs) I don't know why, but I can totally see us doing something like that. Like, what if I was allergic to hot chicken? I'd be like, girl, it's okay. It's all good. I'm going to tell you when and you do it. Yeah, this is my one day a year, my annual use. Well, EpiPens are so fucking expensive, but like like my one time a year, I'm going to go ham on this Dave's hot chicken. Absolutely. I get it. You (laughs) indulge in that hot chicken, Harini. Only you would allow me to do that. (laughs) Thank you kindly. That's what friends do. That's what a true friend does. Okay. In that scenario, your heart isn't able to pump enough blood through your entire body due to that allergic reaction and vasodilation happens. Your, your blood vessels just kind of go limp. Uh, I hate this word, but it goes flaccid. <laughs> and so, so then the epinephrine will incre- again, increase that blood pressure and therefore blood flow. Like it's going to go back to normal. This is a PSA. Like I think it's a good time for a pro tip PSA for good Samaritans. And I'm not just saying good Samaritans. If there's someone who is having 
an emergency out in public and you help them, you're literally called, that's a clinical term, you're a good Samaritan. Mm. Um, yeah. If you are around someone who's having an anaphylactic reaction, and this could be anything, but I'm going to use anaphylactic reaction mm. as the scenario, because that's what we're talking about. Mm. You should always ask for permission first before helping them. And the reason for mm. that is if they did not want your help and you help them, you could get sued afterwards. Mm. That's just the legality of the situation. Yeah. So you always want to yeah. try to get verbal consent from them first. If it's a situation where they're unconscious or not able to give you consent, that whole legality gets waived. You can't help them. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. Just so okay. people so, are aware of that. Yeah. That's, that's a good tip. There's a movie that's like coming to my brain where that happens, where it's a comedy where mm -hmm. some guy is like some random dude is in trouble. And then the, the protagonist of the film saves him but then later he's in court and he's like oh it's it's the incredibles it's the incredibles oh. remember where like mr incredible is like i yeah. saved your life what happens is mr incredible's in the building or like he wit he's witnessing a guy about to like jump and end mm -hmm. his life you remember that mm -hmm. yeah and then yeah, he yeah. like r runs through one building and catches the guy falling yeah. Yeah. on the next building yeah. and he's sued because he like broke the guy's neck or something but he didn't the guy's like he's like i didn't want yeah. you to save me yeah it's absurd, it's absurd. i do yeah. remember that i do remember that yeah. exactly so like you can't just go around like saving people's lives yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need permission first okay um i told you like getting sued is america's favorite pastime so you don't want to <laughs> want to do that so if someone is let's just say they're having the reaction they give you the permission mm -hmm. grab their EpiPen. It usually they should have it with them if they don't like well God help you, you know, but usually yeah, yeah. they should have their EpiPen with them. Grab the EpiPen. There are instructions on, mm -hmm. if you don't have in the box, there's definitely instructions on the box or there will be instructions on the actual pen. It's yeah. very, very easy what to do. You basically uncap it, do a little twist, and mm -hmm. then just fucking stab them anywhere on the meat of their thigh. Okay. I thought so. I was like, it's going to be the thigh, right? Like, correct. Like, I think a lot of people's understanding of EpiPens come from Pulp Fiction. And I'm like, technically, it's supposed to be in the thigh. But yeah, I guess right you could stab head. them right in the sternum through to their heart. If you, I suppose. If you just... I suppose. If you want to be drama, like, sure. Yeah. Don't want to wait for it to kick in. Call 911 immediately. And that's because the half-life of epinephrine is very short. So the side effects are immediate. They may mm -hmm. look fine or appear to look fine. But the effects are temporary so they need to go to the hospital always mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the third scenario for using epinephrine is asthma attacks or when you have intense mm -hmm. shortness of breath or wheezing and that can also happen in an anaphylactic reaction mm -hmm. so inhaling small doses of epinephrine can cause short-term relief by relaxing the airways that's one of the effects it can do gotcha in your lungs gotcha. to allow you to breathe mm -hmm. better with all of that in mind what happens if you give epinephrine to someone who doesn't need it aka mm -hmm. dr devaraj so right. you may have gathered that we only use epinephrine in very specific extreme life or death scenarios so mm -hmm. giving it to someone who's just chilling next to you in a spiritual wellness retreat lecture oh, is probably like no bueno <laughs> yeah so in shanti b sitch with her giving it to dr mm -hmm. devaraj the concept was that injecting him with epinephrine would dangerously raise his blood pressure 
Mm. Because when you quickly elevate your blood pressure like that without needing it, in other words, you're already at a baseline healthy blood pressure. Because you have to remember, part of the reason why we give epinephrine in all the scenarios I just listed, Mm -hmm. you have vasodilation of your vessels. Again, like Mm -hmm. everything is flaccid. Your blood pressure is dropping considerably, and that can also cause you to flatline as well and die. Mm -hmm. So you want to get your BP up really quick, really fast. Even if it's just like a, kind of like a shock to your system because it's adrenaline, right. you're in shock, you're in fight or flight. So yeah. it gets yeah. everything going right away. Mm-hmm. So when your blood pressure is really low, that's an okay scenario to give it because your baseline mm-hmm. is very low. It's not normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you have healthy blood pressure and you give epinephrine on top of that, that mm-hmm. can cause your heart to work over time and not be mm-hmm. able to keep up. So this mm. can cause your heart to be out of rhythm, sometimes permanently, which is called atrial fibrillation, mm. or which is mm-hmm. probably what they were hoping for. It can cause a heart attack, which may lead to death mm. because your heart is just like trying to work so, so, so fast and it can't keep up and it just like kaput goes out. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no way, hypothetically, let's say you knew you were injected with epinephrine. Let's say you just fucking myth busters mm-hmm. the shit out of yourself and we're like i'm gonna have my healthy baseline yeah. put some epinephrine in my mm-hmm. system so you know that you know the potential circumstances you know your heart's gonna go mm-hmm. boom 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 mm-hmm. boom boom blood pressure's up psychologically mm-hmm. this is just a silly question but i want to ask it with your brain yeah. knowing all this could you potentially talk yourself into combating that epinephrine spike yeah yeah okay we need to balance out this epinephrine so we're going to release whatever we need Mm -hmm. to balance that out as opposed to someone who got injected unknowingly because you don't know what's going on you don't have that inner talk you don't have that like control person right but i don't know if that's how that works yeah yeah yeah. i don't know if that's how the body works you know what? I say anything is possible. <laughs> anything. You know, like like I'm on the I am on the side of the dreamers. Sh- I, yeah. <laughs> me too, me too. Like I mm. No, but like for real though, I do think yeah. honestly like that could happen. Like I don't see yeah. why not. If you're just like kind of experimenting with yourself with tiny doses, like you're yeah. incrementally trying to increase it and kind of see yeah. like where your threshold is at. I wouldn't say okay. no. You know, like I don't know if that's been done yeah. before, I'd have to look more into it, but I don't know how much you yeah. can control exogenous epinephrine that is not already naturally created in your body but i'm curious it's the same thing that we create on our own so i don't see how you you can't just bring it down on your own oh no 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 don't don't. self-experiment maybe we could all google search together and see if we can find something that so that's that that is end of part one of so so did shanti and sheila just mess up the dosage with epinephrine like because I imagine it depends on like the person's body composition and their general health and their general what their blood pressure is naturally. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I since I know I'm doing a two parter. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna come back and do some research and look that up. That was something yeah. I didn't do, like an LD fifty, for example. Right, right. But it does not matter. Okay, I believe because mm. I'm just thinking about it. Like logically speaking, you don't dose epinephrine. Like you don't dose epipens. Uh, gotcha, it doesn't gotcha. matter how big you are, small right. you are. Everyone gets the same amount of epinephrine if they have yeah. an anaphylactic shock. Because gotcha. it would be too much. Like you can't be sitting yeah. there like dosing shit when you're like can't breathe, right. you know? Right, right, right. Um, so for that reason, I do feel like it doesn't matter based on body composition how much you give. So I think yeah. that's where she may have thought like we don't have to worry about it. You just give this much yeah, and you should yeah. be dead. 
right i don't know where she went wrong on that it could be that like him being a doctor he just knew instinctively something was not right and like he clearly knew like she just poked him with something yeah yeah, so he may have just gone directly to like he clearly wasn't the only doctor Mm -hmm. on the commune so he probably went to someone else and be like i don't know what it is like just give me something just a general antidote right 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 interesting yeah so i think that's kind of what happened and that's probably why he didn't die Mm -hmm. but it could very well be that he just didn't get enough they may have just Mm -hmm. given him an epipen dose for example yeah yeah yeah. which i don't believe would be enough to kill you it may like put you towards the edge of getting permanent atrial fibrillation like i said permanent heart damage or like abnormal heart rhythm but may not kill you but i'll look into that for for next week's episode cool very interesting it's always interesting to have a talks discussion about what we consider like medicine, but it's like yeah. this, this concept of this is what you had said in our very first episode mm-hmm. or like our first couple episodes, which is anything could be a poison. Yeah. So even if we see this as like a positive in the healthcare world, mm-hmm. like it's a, it's a medicine that is used by the CDC, blah, 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 like it can still have detrimental effects depending on how you use it. And absolutely how much so it's just very fascinating because like it's not it's not what we would consider our traditional poison no because it's just like a medication completely yeah. i think that's what fascinates me the most about the epinephrine portion because i'm like really like this is what sheila chose and i'm yeah. I'm, i want to know what's going on in her mind when she chose that like did she want it to be like a subtle subtle right. thing where he just like died of a heart attack I'm curious because there are so many options. That sounds so bad, but there are so many different ways she could have done it. That's what I'm thinking too. And I, yeah, like I'm not a good person for saying this, but it's just like, this is how we talk because our podcast is about poison. I'm like, we just did an episode about ricin. Girl, like, why don't you just use ricin? (laughs) Yeah. Why don't you just secure some grains of ricin? Why specifically epinephrine? Is like, is that all you had on the compound? Clearly not, because we know later on she's got all these biotoxins Mm -hmm, that you're going to talk about mm -hmm, later. mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. I'm just like, very interesting choice. Like, what was the plan? Yeah, I don't know. Did you actually want to assassinate him? Right. I don't know. Or just like stir the pot a little bit? Like, I don't know. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell if that's like her being very like coy and subtle in a way right. of using that. Right. I think she's like very clever that she's using something like that. Yeah. But I don't know. Who who the frick knows? Yeah. But anyways, that is anyways. that is a wrap on part one. Amazing. I hope you enjoyed it. I fucking did. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> no, I seriously did. I Because it is such a crazy s- story, I love hearing it again. I'm excited that it's a two-parter. And... A genuine, genuinely loved the talks aspect because of all the yeah. reasons I just discussed. Awesome. Thank you for taking this on because yes. I know it's a lot. I know. Yeah. Oh, God. Oof. But, all right, since we're entering our anecdotes, I was thinking, like, should I save this for the two, the second episode? But I'm just going to say it now. Yeah, please. Unless someone has already recommended it. Now that you've finished Wild Wild Country, mm-hmm. you need to, need to, need to watch the documentary now spoof of it have you seen that at all dude okay documentary now originally it was like bill Hader and fred armison and stuff like that but it's like a whole spoof series that used to be on ifc Uh uh-huh and it just spoofs like famous documentaries so season three yeah their first episode is called batshit valley (laughs) and it is hilarious (laughs) so now that you've seen wild country like i would encourage you to immediately watch this 
episode okay. Ratchet Valley, uh, okay. and Owen Wilson plays yes. Rajneesh, no. the, the, the Bhagwan. It is Dude. hilarious. Wait, how hilarious. have I not heard of this whole like concept before? That is freaking phenomenal. Get okay, to I'm it. excited. You will, I think you will pee your pants. Okay. <laughs> Where so where can I procure uh, this I delicious it's content? On Netflix. Okay. Documentary now is docu- what it's called. Yeah, let me check. I think I might actually watch that as like my bedtime. <laughs> my do bedtime it, do it. It's it's a short one. Show. Like they're not long. Oh, perfect. Netflix. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I'm watching this as soon as we end this. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, yeah, great. Was one. that gonna be your was that your anecdote? Partially. My my okay, anecdote real quick. Because mm-hmm. uh, you told the story today. That was my recommendation yeah, yeah. to you. But my okay. anecdote is cool. my sister is currently down Yay. in San Diego visiting. She is in my bedroom as I record. <laughs> What's up, Manira? She is up? a devoted listener. Oh, yeah. She put the shaka up. <laughs> That's what it's called, apparently, because now I, now I just came from the island. So anyway. Yes. Manira, thanks for coming and visit me. I love you, sister. That's my mm-hmm. anecdote. I love honestly Megan when you dev- like I thought you would say she's yeah. a devotee of Rajneesh Bhagwan Rajneesh and I was like whoa 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 that took a big turn <laughs> and she's been cool listening to us talk about it this whole I know time. just talking trash mad trash no, no I love no. that we love she's a devotee to that shit is poison yes so, she is she is better. a true she's the OG poison pal my anecdote Yes, my freaking anecdote is I just finished my farm D. Like I'm done. Mm, mm, that mm, is my anecdote. I don't know why I just glossed over that in my my brain. But yeah, yeah. I grad. I finally graduated. It's been four years. I got my doctorate, and I'm super stoked about that. Just a lot of like changes happening. Moved out of my apartment mm-hmm. that has served me so goddamn well for the last three yep. years. It was very emotional, but it was like one of those things where it was like happy tears. You know, like I was leaving mm-hmm. it, and I was like, SF has been on its best behavior for me in this last week. It mm. really just showed me a great time in my last few days and i was so happy like driving away being happy in the uncertainty like even though things are really just like ungrounded right now and things are so up in the air like i'm finding a lot of peace and ease on to the next great thing i'm so excited absolutely that is my chapter chapter closed yes chapter closed and that's awesome like i'm happy for what it was and it served me well and i'm ready for the next I'm so happy and excited for you, Harina. I am ready yeah. to watch you in your next stage of yeah. life. Like, whew, Poison Pals, you have witnessed a journey. <laughs> and you have been truly a part of that journey, so we appreciate mm-hmm. you. And so that's a wrap on this episode. Thanks, guys, so much for listening once again to our nonsensical chatting. We love doing <laughs> it with you guys. If you want to know more about these episodes, I feel like we don't mm-hmm. talk about it enough, but you can always follow us uh, on Instagram. We post a lot of content on there, but the episodes at That Shit Is Poison on Instagram, That Shit's Poison on Twitter. If you mm. want to email st- us stuff, like just say hi, or you got a story you want us to do, email us at that shit is poison. And m- most importantly, don't forget to rate and review, guys. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, you take it away, Harini. This is your, your episode. Don't risk it for that maroon shirt biscuit. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> like I'm down with that, to be honest. That's oh great. That was like the fir- I just went with the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, this sounds stupid, but whatever. It's We're going perfect. with it. I'll never look at a maroon shirt the same way again. Yeah. Throw all that shit away now. <laughs> You're in a cult. All right. Thanks so much, guys. We appreciate you and see you next time. Bye. Peace. Peace.